Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. And welcome back to our wonderful listeners. So today on the podcast, we are going to be exploring uh, the mind-body naturopathic medical approach to focusing and managing anxiety and fear. My guest today is Alexia. Did I say that correctly? Hello. You did very close. Alexia. Alexia Georgiusis. It's a, it's a bit of a mouthful. It is. It is. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Madeline. Nice to be here. So I think before we, you know, jump right into the topic, you know, tell us a little bit, um, tell us a little bit about you. Sure, sure. I have been in naturopathic medicine in terms of practitioner for 21 years. My background is also as associate dean of clinical studies, and I was clinical faculty for about 15 years at the Naturopathic College here in Toronto. And my approach is really very holistic in terms of mind, body, spirit medicine, which we'll get into. And it really is around working with the person so that they can attain optimal health. So my background, I've also looked at and studied with various disciplines, whether it's mindfulness or transformative mindfulness, some mysticism in terms of mystical spirituality and health, which involves the chakra systems, and also even some of what's called core shamanic studies. So this has been an ongoing sort of life journey for me in terms of my work, as well as how I want to live my life. Amazing. So you're intertwining all of the aspects. You got the scientific, you have the spiritual, not to say that this spiritual is not scientific. It's just, we may not have the right measuring tools for such things. And though, you know, it's more qualitative than, yes, than quantitative analysis. Um, but equally, I think important, we, we are spirit, we are energy, right? We, we know that. Um, it's just, I don't think we contextualize that we are, there is a mind, there is a body, and then there's like the energy, the spirit, the something deeper that, like, how does our body know how to function without us telling, right? Like, well, and, and yes, I, and well said, because this is really um, what is representative of what's termed the innate wisdom or what's called in naturopathic medicine, the vis medicatrix naturae, which is the healing power of nature. It is an unseen force. We don't yeah. see it. We don't know when we cut our finger, you know, paper cut, for example, we don't have to tell our body what to do. Exactly. It knows exactly what to do without direction. Isn't that amazing? I find that amazing. It's, it is amazing. It's beautiful. It's amazing. So what is that? That something that we don't see, but we all experience it. The nature of being on this planet we experience and also in terms of being alive. Exactly. And this is the stuff that just like tickles my feathers, as they say, um, <laughs> right? Just like trying to like, when we, when we take a moment to pause and just think about that, you get a paper cut and your body knows what to do, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you put a seed into soil, it knows how to grow. Like, yeah, sure. Yes. We can, we can, um, express external forces on it by, you know, feeding it different foods, uh, watering it, making sure it's put into sunlight, but the actual process of that plant doing what it does, does not need us. Correct. Absolutely correct. It, it is not something that we, our sense of, we, our sense of, I have control over this is really where we start to learn humility. Right. You know, we can support it, but do we have the, the awareness of you know, we need to lead this seed or our skin to heal? No, no, that is a given. That's already present. We just don't see it per se. Yeah. We're not used to seeing it, I should say. 
Yeah. So when we're applying various holistic therapeutic techniques to this, you know, we're trying to create an environment, I think. And and I mean, maybe I think of it this way. We're trying to create an environment in which the cells and the function of our body is optimized to do what it is naturally capable of doing. We're just trying to help. It's like, okay, we know the plant knows how to grow itself. We know that if you tear a muscle, that muscle is going to heal, right? On its own, right? So when I'm applying physiotherapeutic techniques, I'm thinking, okay, how do I best create an environment that I know that this tissue, although it will heal itself, how do I optimize that system and that approach, you know, when that muscle's healing? Yes, yes. Yeah. Same, same in naturopathic medicine in terms of holistic approach, it is very similar around the sense of alignment and optimization. What does that really mean? If we trust that there is this innate wisdom, then basically we need to do some tweaking or modifications to allow that natural energy that exists with its own wisdom to thrive so that the, the physical can thrive. And the model that I use is something called the healing triangle which was shared with me by a colleague and mentor uh, named Bob Van Horlick out in BC. And basically, imagine a triangle. And on each tip of the triangle, one tip is the mental aspect. The other tip is the emotional. One tip is the physical. And the entire triangle is surrounded by a circle. And the circle that holds the triangle is consciousness or spirituality. Because there is no separation there is an interaction and interrelationship between our mental aspect, our emotional aspect, our physical aspect, which is all encompassed by how we experience being a human being, which is consciousness. So this is the, the interactive and holistic aspect of working with someone from a place of seeing beyond just the initial symptom. Right. You're looking at the person as a whole. So would you say that, you know, mind, uh, I put in air quotes, like mind body medicine is that that verbal that verbal visual representation you just made of the triangle with the circle. Yes. Yes. I think that the piece, uh, and because mind body medicine has its own sort of definition, at least in the Western world around that it's movement and breath work related to the mind. However, where is our mind? You know, this is a big Buddhist question. Where is the mind? Is it in the finger? Is it in the heart? Is it in the brain? We don't know. So when, when we look at body and mind, I think that we can expand on, you know, the aspect of what encompasses the mind. And again, seeing that there is much more to us as individuals in terms of this connection we have to a life force that surrounds us all the time, that is within every single one of us, every plant, every animal, every species that's here. We share that. That's part of the collective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to warn our listeners that, uh, you know, we are in the midst of a COVID pandemic and children are at home. So there may be some, there may be some noises in the background. So we may have to pause for a moment and resume. Sorry about that, folks. As I was saying, uh, you know, we have children at home and uh, this is just, these are the times that we're in. Yep. So we're going to just continue on our conversation. So uh, we were talking about the collective uh, consciousness and we're talking about where is the mind and we don't really know where the mind is. Um, And this is, this is, uh, this is complex. It is complex. And, and to go back to what you were saying, Madeline, it is about energy as well, right? This is where we have the physical aspect, but we also know that, you know, for example, if we go back to the paper cut, you know, something physical happened. And then, <clears throat> pardon me, what was it that actually, <clears throat> pardon me, what was it that actually gave the signaling to the cells to start to start the repair? And that signaling, sorry, I have a frog in my throat. Let me pause. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Just repeat what you were saying. 
Yes. So basically, going back to what you were saying about the paper cut and, and with energy, that when a paper cut happens, what is it that absolutely directs the signaling of the cells in order to heal? That's something that is unseen. You know, there, where does it start? Where does the process start? You know, what is, what is the key signal? And again, it goes back to that wisdom that is hidden, but it is within us. Yeah, it's truly... It's, it's truly amazing. Um, so we have, you know, we're talking about this physical, okay, paper cut, there's a physical, you know, physical thing. Let's just touch, and we, we obviously we've talked a little bit about the mind. So where is the mind? I mean, the, the mind is what allows for our awareness of ourselves and environment. Like that, that process is the processing of like how we're interacting with the world. Or how would you define sort of the mind aspect? Oh, that's a really good question. I think that my preference is to um, define the mind more as a, a complex uh, sort of complexity that involves mental and emotional experience, which means that it involves sensation, it involves perception, it involves thought. So the mind is always there. It's, you know, there's so many labels for it in terms of various, um, you know, spiritual faiths, like Buddhism often will say the monkey mind, which is there are thoughts running rampant with all these, you know, the squirrel activity or something shiny and bright and those thoughts. But again, the, that's part of the mind, but what is noticing the thoughts and whatever's noticing the thoughts is more about the consciousness. That's the deeper wisdom. Yes, and that's a rabbit hole that we could definitely jump really deep into. Um, but I, I, what, what I want to do is sort of just define for people kind of like, okay, so you got the mind and you got the body. Now you're encompassing emotions into yes. the mind. Um, remind me the triangle, the triangle. The triangle, sure, absolutely. MEPS, MEPS, M-E-P-S is the abbreviation. But the triangle is the mental, emotional, physical. Okay. And then the circle is the consciousness or spirituality. So the mental represents thoughts. Okay. I just wanted to clarify because the, yes. you, you grouped mind and emotions together, but then I was like, but the triangle was like different. Okay. Well, so, and that's, yes. And that's thank you for clarifying. Mind, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. Cause mind isn't, isn't part of the triangle per se. It's within there, but again, mental and emotional are separated. Okay. Okay. So that's perfect. the key. Let's talk about emotions. Okay. Um, before we jump into like the anxiety and fear business, um, how do you contextualize or how do you explain emotions um, when you're talking to clients? Because I think people have a, a really difficult time. Like, and I notice this in my practice as well. When I say, you know, you know for lack of a better descriptor, like psychosomatic, right? Um, where it's like a thoughts and sensations and emotions. And, you know, sometimes I say like your emotions really do impact your experience of pain. Um, I, people don't understand that link. So I, I'm curious how you sort of contextualize that. Sure, absolutely. Well, what I often will speak to about with clients is, is I will ask them, do they believe that there's a correlation between, for example, the, the emotion of worry or the emotion of anger and blood pressure? Or do they believe that their stomach ulcer or their gastric uh, functions is impacted by stress? And using you know, the word stress, because it encompasses so much, and we have you know, positive stress and negative stress, most people I find absolutely will say yes. Yes, they, they understand that stress can make things worse. Negative stress, I should say. Right. So that's really what I say to clients very often. With emotions, I see it more as a state. It is a state of being. And that is where it's connected to the nervous system, which ends up impacting our physiology. So emotions can often be, you know, I don't typically differentiate emotion from feeling because I think a lot of us have a relatively limited language of descriptors to identify what we're feeling. Mm -hmm. and, and it's partly because we're in a very busy world and we are in our heads a lot. But when we stop and go, oh, what am I feeling? And 
we may not have a, a, a name for it. That's when we look at sensation, which is also different. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Does that answer your question? Well, it, 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 well yes. I, I think the example, like, you know, when you're nervous, you feel butterflies in your stomach, right? Definitely. Or, you're nervous and all of a sudden you have to pee after just going pee like 15 times, you still feel like you have to pee. The, the reality is you don't have to pee, right? Like it's not about, it's not about that your bladder's full and that you need to go. Yes. It's about the physiological response to a state of being, like you said. Um, yes. Yes. That can be triggered by thoughts or oh. can or can be triggered due to actual something in the environment. Yes, yes. And, and that's, that's perfectly said because it's both. You know, we, can, we need our, our stress responders to help us stay safe and keep us out of danger. But the issue is that when we're in a chronic state, and that's where perception comes into play. And so, yes, if you're about to go on stage and make a speech and you're, you, have, you, know, you have cold feet or cold hands, and you can literally say that, but you might also feel it in terms of sensation. But the, the example, too, around you know, butterflies in the stomach or you know, the heart is pounding out of your chest, well, again, it's the sensation that's there, which is connected deeply to the nervous system. But where does it start? Is it, is it rooted in the belief around, let's say, it's fear or anticipation? then that energy of thought is what impacts the physiology. And then the physiology shows up. Right. Because it's not the heart that's like all of a sudden starting to pound really hard. It's not like, oh, my heart's really pounding hard. Oh, I must be nervous. It's usually like, okay, I'm going to get on the stage. Like, what are people going to think? What if I flop this? Like, blah, 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 blah. the brain just yeah. goes. And then as a result of that the physiology follows suit. And I often find when I'm doing public speaking, like I'll have those sensations, but five minutes on stage and I'm like into it, my heart's not pounding anymore. And nope. the feelings and the sensations and the thoughts that I had prior now shifted into this other, like, all right, I'm in a groove now. All right. Like we're doing this. Okay. There's nothing to fear here. You're already going. Like you might as well just keep going. I like that you said it's a state of being because the thought that's coming to my mind right now is that it's not permanent. Very, and sometimes yes. people get stuck. Oh, yes, yes. Right? And they get stuck. Perhaps it might be mentally stuck around the permanence of the sensation because I don't know about you, but with this whole COVID thing, like I've been in, you know, quarantine for, you know, all, well over a week and like, I'm going through a lot. It, it feels like a very sustained uh, uh, stress response because every day it's like something brand new to stress. And it just literally feels like it's a constant, but it's really, I'm in a state of being right now that's maybe more prolonged, but I don't have to stay there forever. Yeah. And, and this is a perfect example of, you know, what you're describing is that it's very new and different right now. We, none of us are, are, are familiar with this new and different reality that is presenting. So having a prolonged state, it's relating, what's happening is that we're all getting up in the morning, at least I find the same, and, and we have a certain sort of expectation that we're like, well, wait a minute, that's actually not happening today because, oh, right, I have to stay inside or I only can do emergency trips. And for you, you're in quarantine, so you can't go anywhere. No. And this is very destabilizing for the nervous system because it's changing our perception and also our reality of what is this. So it will feel prolonged. And it's very important for people to really work with themselves around these waves of emotion that are coming up because they're ranging from grief to frustration to fear to, to anger. anxiety to anger. And, and this, this is part of you know, when you can reframe it and say, okay, you know, this is part of my experience right now. And going back to what you were saying, it's not permanent. It is changing every day. And there's something new every day. It's just unexpected. We are, we are facing the unknown. It's a very scary place. <laughs> Only if yeah. it's, it's scary. It's scary when we 
go into the future too much or we catastrophize. And also and, we have to be And isn't that, uh, and I was just going to say, isn't yeah. that anxiety and fear, right? It is. Isn't, it is. Like, isn't fear, and, well, I'm going to say anxiety because fear can be really present in the moment, but I think a lot of anxiety comes from the future. Yes. Typically anticipatory and whether it's related to a past uh, trauma of some sort, or it's the sense of ultimately, am I going to be safe? Am I going to be okay? And not having a sense of self-trust or a sense of resilience in the self or trusting the process. And this is bringing up so many things for us around facing vulnerability, facing mortality on some level, facing illness. You know, this is something which is very interesting because, you know, typically we're not, we're not, there's, there is an underlying fear, I think, that many of us carry around a fear of illness, a fear, a fear of not recovering. And so all of this is just heightened right now. So yes. feeling anxious and feeling, you know, irritable or whatever it is, it is par for the course. But it's the key is recognizing what you were saying earlier, Madeline, was that, you know, this isn't a permanent state and it's important to identify that we are not our emotions. We feel emotions, but we are not the emotion. Yes, very much the truth. Because when that emotion changes, do we per se of who we are, does that change? I I read... um. I read a really interesting book. Um, it's called Awareness by Anthony DeMello. I don't know if you're okay. familiar. And so no. he, he, one of his examples was, uh, so he talks about the concept of who am I? Am I my name? Well, if I change my name legally, um, am I not the same person? Right? So I'm not my name. Okay, well, I define who I am by my profession. Okay, so I'm Madeline Golick. I'm a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Well, what happens if I decide to change careers? Well, I am not what my profession is, right? And so he goes on and he gives a lot of amazing examples of like what is, you know, and then he gets into the observer of your thoughts uh, and the whole discussion around that that consciousness. so I, I, I just thought those were really good examples that uh, I think we're all kind of learning. Yes. At a and, deeper and level. Are, oh, yes, it, absolutely. This is, this is heightening our state of awareness, meaning that it is going to deepen our sense of self, which means that we are not the labels we identify with. And then what? Because going back to what you're saying, yeah. you know, when you reinvent yourself or you decide I'm going to change my name or I'm going to, then when you, when you, you know, sort of pare down all the labels that say, this is who I am, that is where it becomes very um, difficult and potentially, I don't want to say dangerous, but it can potentially cause a lot of suffering because this is attachment. Yeah. And when we overattach to something, when it goes away, we feel devastated or we feel completely destabilized. And that's why when people right now losing their jobs, and these are real, these are real fears. You know, we want to have security. We want to have an income. We want to have housing and health and, and shelter, and, you know, yep, shelter, shelter and, and, and connection with people, right? Yeah. Contact. But this is why it's, there's, there's so much that's energetically happening with the collective that we are going to feel it as well, not just in our individual selves, but also from what's around us, you know, what we see in the media. This is really shifting us to say, okay, wait a minute, now what? And again, it's completely unknown because it takes time to sort of be comfortable with uncertainty. I mean, I don't know whoever is, you know, I'm, un- I'm maybe uncomfortable with uncertainty for like, what, 10 seconds at a time? You know, it's, it's, but it's, it's the practice of being able to recognize it's actually very good. We can, we can shift this into an opportunity by reframing mm-hmm. and see that this is possibility without dismissing the emotions, without dismissing the fear and the anxiety. But anxiety can, if we let our emotions identify who we are, that's when it shifts into panic disorders and severe uh, other issues that, that are very, very, um, um, you know, they cause dysfunction in terms of being able to 
to sort of be in the world and thrive. Because in this situation, you, the, the, the reaction for some people might be to run away and to hide and constrict, you know, constricting themselves. This is asking us to actually, how do we keep expanding, which is really resilience. Yes. That's the ability to adapt, the ability to see differently, but not from a place or a state of panic. Because energetically, when you're not grounded and you don't have clarity, then that's where you have impulsive behavior and you have dangerous behavior. Sort of like the hoarding that was happening, you know, the hoarding reaction that happened with toilet paper and whatever else. It's like, that is not a necessity for survival. Right. But it's skewed because of the experience of fear. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, partially what our listeners need to understand, um, and, and this is where the compassion piece comes in, is that the amygdala, so the part of our, well, it's one part of our brain, but we oftentimes think of that as like the, the fear center, the alarm center, okay? Right, right. We have to, people have to understand that that center is not rational. Correct. Okay. It is a center that takes information and um, uses like symbols and smells and um, pictures and, and it just makes associations, right? So you're feeling this and you're seeing you know, toilet paper, and it just somehow makes this weird association that the alarm bell goes off and people are doing these things. It's not until, and, and the problem is, is that our prefrontal cortex, the part that like allows for rational thought is delayed. Right. It doesn't, right. by the time it comes online to go, oh my God, why did I buy like right. 40 packages of, you know, 20 rolls of toilet? Like, what am I going to do with all this toilet paper? Right? Yes, yes. That comes later. Correct. Right. It doesn't yes. come in that moment. And some of us that are removed from the situation, I mean, of course we can see it clearly, but the person going through it is not seeing clearly. They, no. There is no, you know, thinking through this and, and no. it's a neurologic, it's like, it's wired into us. It's not like this person has another option, right? Once it's activated right. in the emotional center, it's, it, it's going changing is going to be delayed. Yes, yes, definitely. And, and again, you know, it is something that when you said about being wired and that fear state, because if someone is in that fear state, then impulsive behavior will happen. And it can help us and it can serve us when, for example, we're riding our bike on the street and all of a sudden we see, whoa, there's this truck, you know, barreling down and we, we, but we don't even realize that we just you know, threw our, our bike onto the sidewalk and we saved ourselves. That's the impulsivity that is very helpful. But what, is, what the, the impulsivity that you're speaking to is, is demonstrating that I believe that there's so many people that have been in such a stress state for so long, which is related to a heightened, a heightened alertness that is, becomes dysfunctional. You know, cortisol is swimming. It's like, you know, it's just there circulating. And it creates this, this, it sort of feeds into reactivity. And it doesn't allow any space for someone to have an awareness to go, okay, I just need to take a breath right now. Or wait a minute, maybe I need to, you know, do some tapping or something that will allow me to be in this moment or, you know, go have a cold shower, anything that is going to reset the nervous system and let us be able to see, okay, now what is my next choice? What is, what is, because we need to be smart, especially during this pandemic, we need to follow the advisories and be educated. And it's also within reason, because this is where we need to go, what is it that I need to do for myself that's going to help me stay more calm? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, one of the things that um, I, I, I don't have the news at home. I, you know, I just, I, I have opted to not listen to that. I just don't listen to the news. Yeah. And a lot of my clients know this. I go, I, you know, I just, I can't be on the crisis news network yeah. because for me, and, and I even saw this, so, I, you know, I'll be on social media and I know how to find information. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I know how to find the, I'm, I'm very research-based and I know where to look for it, but it's at my own choosing. Exactly. It's not going to be, it's not going to be forced upon me. Um, but even on social media, like 
you know, while I was away on vacation, right, and I'm scrolling and I'm seeing, you know, the all this news, even though at that moment I wasn't um, connecting with what I was seeing, but the fact that I'm, my eyes can see COVID, 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 mm-hmm. pandemic, mm-hmm. COVID, COVID, mm-hmm. although I may not have responded that, that way immediately, but like 10 minutes later, I'm in this heightened state of like, oh my God, are we actually going to make it home? And like, what's going to, right? And right. so I had to, at moments, as difficult as it was, I had to stop that that influx of information. Like I just, I couldn't yes. expose myself. So I stepped back and I go, okay, well, where am I right now? Right now I'm sitting in a hammock, right? Right now what's going on in my environment? And I'm doing the same thing here at home is like, okay, I'm home. Okay. There's no, you know, there's no, um, our army people coming down. Like mm-hmm. there's no, there's no impending doom right now around, my household. So I can say, okay, my immediate environment is I'm not in danger. So I try to bring myself to this moment. And then, you know, five minutes later, it's like, and you know, this is going on with my business. And so then I'm back up again. And then it's like, okay, try to bring yourself back to this moment right now. Like, is your business on fire? No. Okay. So let's work with that. (laughs) What are are some strategies that, you know, what are some techniques that you use in your practice to help people manage anxiety and fear and obviously tying into what's happening globally? Yes, yes, yes. And actually you touched on a a few of them. And the first one that you touched on is focusing your attention on your senses. So you can in any moment say, okay, what do I see right now around me? Oh, I'm in my house. You know, I'm in a hammock. And you can name it. There's a technique where you can just say, okay, what are three things I can see? What are three things I can hear? What are three things I can taste? What are three things I can touch? And by bringing an awareness to our senses, that helps the nervous system calm down. And the key is that it's not about staying in this place because the reality is, is that unless you're in some remote, I don't know what, you still have your thoughts, right? <laughs> yeah. But yes. when, when, you know, ultimately you can never run away from yourself. Um, but but the, the practice is recognizing. So what, what you're demonstrating, Madeline, is showing that you saw that you were starting to feel, you know, stress or overwhelm and you made the choice to say, nope, what do I need to do right now? That is the big key. We forget that we have choice. We forget that we participate in our own reality. Most people don't. We don't, we forget. We just, that's, that's sort of, there's a difference between being wakeful and being kind of dull. Wakefulness is an alertness that's very calm and you can recognize that, yes, I have to function in this world right now and I also see and notice what I'm feeling. So the senses is one example. Another example is just to pay attention to whether or not you feel, you know, constricted in your body or rigid like sensation, some people who um, don't necessarily, I find, have difficulty with um, sort of imagery, I bring them into a sense of notice sensation. You know, how do you feel in your abdomen right now? Is there tightness there? Or how do you feel in your shoulders? And by noticing, then you can go, oh, and then you can drop it, or you can just take a breath. And again, it's the idea of being able to come back to that place where that's where I, what I refer to as the center or the resourcing. That is the source connection to this innate wisdom. That source is always constant. It's like one of the teachers I had in my life who's um, uh, a Hindu practitioner, and he would say, you know, the sky is the consciousness and people get distracted by the planes, but the sky is always there. So it's being able to say, oh, I see that plane and oh yeah, I see the sky too. Just like what you were describing. Oh, I can see all this COVID, COVID flashing and oh yeah, I'm right here in the hammock. So that idea of it's not either or. It's very important that what I find often people will feel that I never want to feel anxious. I never want to feel fear. I hate this. I resist it. And that creates more resistance. Well, it creates more suffering. It does. Because now you're suffering. And, you know, I'll I'll be honest, I do this. I do this to myself and I'm working on it. Like we all have things to work on. We all are working on it. (laughs) So, you know, one of the things is like 
something will happen and I'll get upset. And then I'm upset that I allowed myself to be upset. <laughs> right. So I've done the same thing. I've done the same thing. They got primary suffering, which is like, yeah. oh, I just, you know, I, I just broke my ankle. So primary suffering, I have an injury. This, this doesn't feel good. The right. secondary suffering is, you know, feeling bad about not feeling good. Right. Yes. And then, yes. you know, all of the things that you can't do. And, and now you start going down that negative rabbit hole. Um, yes. And that's, and that become so in the sense of like a bodily injury, primary, secondary suffering, but in the emotional realm, it's okay. I'm feeling sad today. Like this morning, I, I you know, I tried to make a phone call and I just started crying. I just, mm-hmm. I couldn't hold, mm-hmm. I couldn't yeah. hold it. Yeah. And then my natural response to that is, I can't believe that you are crying on the phone, mm-hmm. talking to this person. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then sort of than the whole shaming and the whole, you know, thankfully, you know, I'm able to, you know, through meditative practice, et cetera, kind of catch that and see, okay, this is what you're doing right now. You're berating yourself for feeling bad during a time that is completely and utterly uncertain. Like it's okay to cry. Yes. yes, And so then I just continued crying until I was done. And then when yeah. I was done, I yeah. felt better. <laughs> well, and, the, and we need that. We need to move. That's the thing is that emotions are energy that need to move through us. It's just, we are physical beings. We are energetic beings. And all this means is that we feel things and we, we need to allow the process. We can't be, you know, rigid robots that, you know, don't feel because those emotions get stuck. And I, I was like with you last week, I woke up on, I can't remember what morning it was. And I just was overcome with sadness. And I had, I cried and I was like, I could feel the sadness for the world. You know, it was, it was in myself, but it was also the world. And, but it is recognizing that, you know, given the circumstances, we need to bring in more compassion for ourselves because I think the earth is asking for more compassion you know, on some level. So, yeah. so it really is, again, noticing these emotions, but being able to say that, okay, I'm feeling anxious. And that in itself is one of the other techniques that that's, comes from a Buddhist practice where basically you name what you are feeling. By naming it and recognizing it, that immediately shifts our awareness so that it's more into a place of acceptance. Mm-hmm. Because acceptance just means that it's okay that it's here. The, the part that you were touching on is that when we say it's not okay for this to be here, that's like deciding that you're going to cut off your arm and say no, because we are filled with so many emotions. There's, yep. you know, there, there's so much, there's so, such richness to being human. There is such richness. And we can decide, this is where the consciousness comes into, we can decide who needs to lead right now. What part of us needs to show up today? You know, is it going to be the anxious person and maybe in that moment, but then there's also this part of me that's very wise and very calm. And there's lots of language and semantics about it, but ultimately the impact on the body is, is also very important for people to see that what you were saying about emotions can impact suffering. They also ha- do trigger physiological responses and can impact pain. And when emotions aren't expressed, they stay stuck. And yeah. What I see is they stay stuck in the body and whether it's resentment or anger, and it doesn't mean that, you know, we become completely, I don't know, fully balanced all the time. It, this is part of the process, but in, in working with this MEPS in terms of the mental, emotional, physical, and then the spiritual, what I'm looking at is seeing what is the process that someone is experiencing their pain whether it's digestive concern, whether it's menopause, whether it's anxiety, what's happening on the mental level, what's happening on the emotional level, what's happening on the physical, because you can add things in to support the physical. Like for anxiety, some people don't eat well when they're anxious, right? Yep. That in itself, low blood sugar, they feel restless, they can't sleep, they feel weak, they might feel shaky. So very often, it's just very important to have something soothing make the choice to have maybe some bone broth or maybe some soup or you know a piece of toast a soft boiled egg something that's easy to digest because the the it's it's matching again the state mhm yeah so i like 
though okay so the thing in my mind that is turning is you know we all want to avoid these negative emotions i mean if we had a choice okay let's just put it this way if we had a a choice in the matter none of us would want to go through any of these unpleasant um emotional and or thoughts okay so let's just make that clear like none of us want to have this happen um but i think it's very un you know like if somebody's in pain, wishing you weren't in pain is not going to change the pain. Correct. Right? The more you try to avoid the experience. So like me trying to avoid the crying mm-hmm. um, was a lot of energy that I was like, and I was exerting so much energy to try to hold it together. Mm-hmm. And it just broke through anyways. Yeah. Right. It didn't yeah. care that in this moment, I didn't want to experience it. It was like, you're going to experience this, whether you like this or not, right? So yeah. you have, so the suffering comes fr- from using up your energy to try to prevent the feeling. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, it, you're, it's emotions. Pain has all sorts of things centered around that, that we have to move through it, right? Usually the thing that's in the way is the way, right? Correct. We, Right. We have to go through it to break through to the other side. If we deny it, don't worry. It'll let you know. Oh yeah. If you resist, it will persist. That's right. Um, But I think a life without these things, well, we would never grow. We would never grow. We would never evolve. And it would be boring if everything was just like, so, so it's a tough, it's so tough because I don't want anybody to go through pain. I don't want anybody to cry. I don't want anybody to be well, afraid. Yes. Yes, but I, I it, right? Yeah, we, we do. And we have to, again, accept that, you know, that we don't trust pain. The relationship with pain, I often will talk to people about their relationship to their concern or their complaint, whether it's physical, emotional, mental issue. But what is the relationship with it? And what is the relationship with pain? If we can work with our relationship with pain so that our, our ideas about it, our perception about it starts to soften, even though it's unpleasant, yeah. then that's where we have the gold. That's where we have, to me, it becomes very empowering. It becomes Yeah, because it becomes more, the teacher, right? Yeah, it becomes a teacher and it becomes a process that we trust. And again, it goes back to humility because we believe that we have control. And we don't trust, you know, sure, imagine our lives if we could, you know, that's why if we could write it out and say, oh yeah, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is exactly, I'm on plan, this is, that doesn't allow for any curiosity. And there's some people that believe that that would give them a sense of safety. And that is where it becomes very disempowering because they're not taking their power into themselves and seeing that the stability that I'm looking for or the security that I'm looking for is inside of me. Mm-hmm. It is not outside of me. Right. The practices, you know, sure, meditation can help and mindfulness and, you know, nature walks. And, but what I find is that, especially in this time, I really believe that we are being asked to listen and to learn how to be wakeful and present with our eyes open. It's not about shutting out the world. It's about being able to still be present with what's here and meet it in a way that we are conscious and we can acknowledge, man, this is really scaring me or I'm terrified yeah. or this is making me feel. And the, um, but using the and to say, and in this moment, I'm okay. And in this moment, the, you know, the, there's not a fire that's taking my house away. Right. And there are different techniques, different perspectives, different things that people can do um, that may ease the process, or, but you're still going to go through it. No question. You cannot skip steps. Right? It's like pain management. I'm, I'm giving you techniques to manage your pain mm-hmm. while we go through this process of healing. And nobody said healing wasn't painful, right? In all of its various, you know, yes. all of its various yes. forms. It's like, how can I help you go through this process? So A, you're not alone. B, 
you're empowered to try different things, right? Because it's a learning process. What does my, what does my body need right now? Okay. Maybe it needs nutrition. Like you just said, maybe right. it needs to move. Maybe my pain right. is because I haven't moved. Maybe right. I, maybe my pain is I've moved too much and need to learn how to rest. You have to, you know, there are things that it's a combination of being in the present and then doing something. Yes. Yes. In, and you're up in the present to try to affect change, whether internally or externally to ease the process, but it's still a process and you're still going to have to go through it. Yes. And, and, and it is, it, it is around, there is action, intentional action that is yeah. part of it. It's having that awareness, you know, being with whatever is present, but then from a place where there's an awareness, that's when you can choose what feels right for me to do right now. So for example, you know, some, sometimes people with insomnia, the, the anticipation of going to sleep creates more stress because they're worried they won't sleep. And the, the story is that I won't sleep and then I'll feel this. And, and insomnia is very debilitating, right? It really does impact us on so many levels. But in terms of working with what are the actions, so maybe I need to you know, do some exercise so that I feel more tired to get this energy out. Maybe I need to listen to a calming meditation or maybe I need to have my sleep hygiene where I don't use any technology for two hours before I go to bed. These are all little action steps that we are required to do for ourselves. That's the other part is we take responsibility for the choices and support is important, absolutely. And, and ultimately, it also needs to be the relationship we have with ourselves to say, oh, I can trust myself to make these choices. Because I find most people do know how to eat healthily. When I speak to them about their diets, they know what healthy choices or food is compared to non-healthy. But then the other part is, okay, well, then if we know this, why don't we make the change or the choice? And that can often be what's layered around, there might be a sense of expectation or a sense that it's too much work, or you know, whatever the, whatever's there. So it's very, very individualized. But the action steps, what you were referring to, very important. You have to be able to do both. You know, yeah. recognition, acknowledgement, you know, soothe the feelings, you know, get support if needed, and then make a very conscious and intentional action as to what is realistic given the situation. Yes, and it's the accumulation of those action steps over time that leads to the big change, right? Yes, like the Titanic yes. doesn't turn immediately. It, it goes no. one degree and then for every one degree it moves, by the time it makes it, you know, six months of floating, you're in a completely different de destination than yes. you would be. And I think oftentimes when what we see in health and, and in our, the body needs its time to do its innate work. There is yeah. no pill. I concur. Right? Like yeah. there is no pill no. that you're going to take and COVID's just going to be over. And nope. no, it, it, like, nope. uh, it doesn't exist, right? So neither does changing a medical condition. Neither does, um, you know, working, you know, if you've had longstanding anxiety. Like it's, it's the accumulation of the choices that you make daily that, ends you in a state later down the road. And it's not even a destination because it's an ongoing journey. It's right? Exactly, exactly. No. But I get what you're saying. And, yeah. and, and I, I, I would add to that, that the other part is consistency. Because yes. the biggest thing that I see is that often people will come in with a big plan or something that they want to do. And it really is interesting to, to bring them into a place of the small steps are enough. And the consistency is way more important because you can you can have an intention intention for example with you know what do i want to be feeling in the next 3 months or how do i want to be experiencing you know the improvements that i have in my health and without the consistency of some type of choice or that's why a practice that that's why they refer to meditation as a practice well we could say human being a human being is kind of a practice for i don't know what but it's, it's something but that consistency is very important and it doesn't mean what i found in my life what for years i would set unrealistic expectations and i was i would get impatient if i didn't 
you know, ha- reach the expectation or close to that expect- ex- expectation within a short period of time. And what I learned in myself was that one, I was not being realistic. And number two, I wasn't actually being consistent. I was striving more for mastery instead of the small little bite-sized pieces and allowing this process to build because it's a foundation. You're basically, if you're going to build a beautiful house, the foundation needs to be solid if you want that house to last, right? Exactly. Yeah. This has been an amazing conversation. It has um, been. You know, I've given, uh, you know, I feel like I've been given some tips and, and certainly some things to think about. And I think others uh, will hopefully gain something if nothing else, just um, at least a framework that they can think about things differently um, while they seek out the help and or the support and or the techniques to help them move through this, uh, to move through whatever it is that they're experiencing currently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What I wanted to ask is if people want to find you, if people want to follow you, if people want to work with you. Yes. Um, you know, where? I would, yeah, I where, love that. Where do they follow you? Okay. Well, I am in Toronto and I'm in two locations. I am in uh, East York as well as uh, the West End. My website address is alexiand.com. I'm also on Instagram, which is alexia.naturedoc. Dot com. And right now, because of COVID, I'm doing online telemedicine, uh, virtual consults. And as well, I'm actually, I've just launched a six-week series to help people with these awareness practices that's starting April 6th. But if you go to the website, my website, you will find information on there. But that's how people can contact me. Excellent. And for people who are like, how do I spell any of this stuff? Um, I will post it in the show notes. So in the, uh, in the episode description, all the links uh, that uh, you have mentioned will be posted there. So it'll make it easy for people to click and uh, access yes. that information as well. Okay. So okay. don't worry about the spelling and <laughs> if you're driving, just, you know, you're driving, don't, don't be writing stuff down. Um, all of that will be in the, in the, uh, descriptions. Okay, great. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk with me about this. Cause, uh, you know, even just talking to you, t- you know, today after my very rough morning, um, you know, I feel calmer actually. It's like, That's okay, wonderful. Like I, cause I believe there's like this innate yeah. thing within me that like the solutions will come. Yeah. And I've even seen, you know, this morning bad, this afternoon, getting some good news trickling in and like then, right. So it's like, take a deep breath in. It is just breathe. And that's another, yeah. Thank you, Madeline. It's wonderful. Great to talk to you about all of this. Really great. Absolutely. I I just, my, my feathers have been very well tickled. Um, So uh, having said that, thank you to our listeners who continue to, you know, support the podcast. And if you're a first-time listener, you know, click that subscribe button. Um, that way you'll stay up to date with the latest and greatest episodes. You know, share it out with your friends because you don't know who may benefit from listening to this conversation. Um, you know, follow follow our listeners on their social handles. And uh, we look forward to having you, you know, join us for the next podcast. Take care from now. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.